continuing our series, and uh, today is part two of our best summer ever. And the reason and the way that we're going to have the best summer ever is through what? Through Jesus. Okay, then specifically there was a topic that we were talking about. Wisdom. That's right. Through wisdom. Wisdom is the, what kind of a key is wisdom? The master key, right? And what is so important about the master key is that it opens all the other doors, right? If you just have the key to your front door, that's the only key that you can get in. In our house, uh, we have, uh, it's somebody did not think about the keying system, and so there's 20 keys to get into. There's a key for every door in the house. So your key ring looks like a janitor at a high school, you know what I mean? Or, you know, and just so you have a key for this door and a key for that door, and I got a key for this door, and this door doesn't have any keys at all, so I can't lock this one unless I'm on the inside of it. And that, that's not the way we want it to be. We want it to be a master key. For this building, we have one key that opens all the little doors, and that's awesome. That's the master key. And not everybody has it. A few people do, but not everyone. So last week we talked about what one of the greatest character traits. Does anybody know what that greatest character trait? It is the blank to become. The willingness to become. And we say that it's the willingness to become because that is what enables change and growth in us. Now, I know that immediately when we say that, there, uh, we can kind of say, yes, I want the willingness to become, but depends on what you're telling me to become, right? I'm very willing to just give it all up and become a handsome billionaire, you know, Cape Crusader, right? That, that would be great. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, I'm willing to become that. But if you say, are you willing to become like Jesus, maybe there's a little bit of hesitation in our life, in reality, right? Anybody ever had that thought like, well, I kind of like where I'm at in life. Maybe I don't need to become more like Jesus. I'm pretty good as it is. I'm not walking on water or multiplying bread and fish, but, you know, I'm, pretty, I'm a pretty nice person overall. You know what I mean? Well, we want to move on and change and become like Jesus because God's will is always the best course of action, right? Now, sometimes it's hard and sometimes it's painful to change as we become more like Jesus, but only because we have ourselves in the way, right? The greatest roadblock to becoming like Jesus is ourselves. And uh, because we know that God's already got authority over the devil, and therefore we have authority over the devil. And so the biggest problem that we have that we're changing in is with ourselves. And, and the truth is, though, is that the sacrifices that we will make to become like Jesus are worth it. And a lot of people, you know, we may not talk about that. A lot of, a lot of people don't even talk about sacrificing anything for Jesus, just that Jesus will make your day great. Everything's going to be okay. There's hope for the world, blah, 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 all that. And that's great. There is all those things. But at the same time, there's this reality of when I'm changing and when I'm becoming like Jesus, I'm laying down who I was before to become more like him. And the, the immediate, the cost, you know, benefit analysis is like, uh, uh, what is this increment going to really do in my life? Is it really going to be worth it for me to give up this thing that I really, really love so that I can become more like Jesus in our brains and our natural minds? Maybe I'm the only one who thinks this way. Sometimes it's not that worth it, Right. But in reality, it is worth it. When we get to heaven, which is where the, the majority of our life is going to be spent in eternity, when we get there, you're going to be like, I'm glad I did lay that down. I'm glad I, I, I did do that because I, I really don't need that. And in fact, this actually prepared me for life in heaven. And so this is going to be greater. And that's one of the hallmarks of city of God, which is us, is that we want to be people who are focused on eternity. 
not just the here and now, but we want to be looking to that author and that finisher, Jesus, and looking to heaven and saying, yes, I see the glory. And so Paul even makes this comment. He says, man, the the far greater glory of what's going to be in heaven is worth the sacrifice that I may go through now, the pain I may go through now to become like Jesus here on earth, because I will be in one place where the sacrifice will be worth it. Amen. Now, here's the thing, is that every single one of us will have to lay down and sacrifice similar things along the path of life, right? Paige, we talk about every single week, we talk about our finances, laying down sort of the idol of finance, or as the Bible calls it, the, the God of mammon, this idea that money or things possess us, rather than using them as a tool. Every single one of us will have to lay down that in some measure in our own life, right? We say, hey, if you want to get rid of it, if you want to nail that thing to the cross, start by tithing. Start by giving the first 10% of your finances to God because that just goes and shows God, hey, you're first in everything in our life, right? Same thing with about our time, stewarding our time. You want to to show God that he's first in your life? Give him the first time of your day. First five minutes, you know, if you want to give him the first 1%, two minutes and 40 seconds or 24 minutes, rather, of your day, that just goes to show God, hey, Lord, you're first in my life before anything else, before Netflix, before Facebook, before Twitter, before Instagram. Jesus, you're number one in my life. And these are all things that we do to not, we're not proving our love to God, but we're saying, Lord, in response to your love for me, this is how I'm I'm loving you back. And every single one of us will have to go. And this is why a gathering on Sunday is so important because you may be sacrificing or going through a portion of your life that's hard. And somebody can come along and say, you know what? I've been through it and it's worth it. That it's worth it to do that. Keep going. Not like, oh man, you shouldn't do that. Don't, that's, that's, we've, we've talked about this before. That's not a good friend who doesn't encourage you to pursue Jesus. Man, I just been fasting and praying and, you know, no, you shouldn't do all that. You don't need to do all that. God already knows your prayer. But if that person feels led to do it, hey, let them do it. Right? You say, well, I mean, what's the worst that could happen? They get closer to Jesus. That's, we want to encourage people. We want to be a place of encouragement saying, yeah, pursue God. What is it that you, how can I help, help you pursue God? Do we need to meet? Do we need to pray? Do we, whatever it is, let's help each other pursue God. And it's so great because we can come in on a Sunday morning and say, yeah, I've been through that. It's worth it. Trust me, lay it down. It's going to be hard, uh, but let me help you. Let me know this. I will be bearing the burden with you. In prayer, I'll hold your hand in the sense of, I'll go with you. I'll say, yeah, come on, we can do this. I've been down this road before. I know the path that leads there. Amen. We want to be a church that is generational and, and, and takes advantage of the generations. That I don't know. I'm only 37. I know I look 22, whatever, 24. It's fine. I get that. But look, look, we want to be a church that honors generations, that says, yes, I have something to learn from you. Amen. That we don't know it all. In spite of what Google tells us, even Google doesn't know it all. I know, spoiler alert, some of you are like, oh, this is, you know, a major breakdown in your... No, God knows it all. And so we want to talk to generations who have been there and been through it all. And even as we're going through it, we want to be able to say as a, as a fresh generation saying, no, come on, there's more energy and there's more, there's more people out there. Amen? Amen. So... The way to have the best summer slash life ever is to walk in the wisdom of God. And we talked about this. Solomon outlines three different types of people. There was the fool, right? The fool simply says, hey, there is no God. He completely denies the existence of God and therefore makes himself his own God, of course, to his own demise. Then from the fool, we move into the simple. And the simple is one who hears, yet he never changes. Therefore, he remains 
hashtag basic, right? So the simple just stays there and he never goes any further because he hears all this stuff. And this is probably where a significant portion of the world falls into this is we hear all the time, right? We're hearing so much information. We're taking in so much quantities of information that are we really changing? Right. I mean, like how we've, we talked about this, you know, I mean, if, if we really believed and understood and followed everything that the experts are telling us, we would all be billionaires with six packs. Right. Because we would all eat healthy. We would all invest in the right things. We'd all start our own, you know, whatever and ever, all the things that everyone's telling us. And yet there's not a general change out there. And so that's where we have to go and make sure that we're not just being basic. We've got to move into being wise. And the wise is somebody who hears from God and they become wiser. That means they're growing and they're changing and they're becoming more like Jesus. They're, in, they're expanding. They're acknowledging that we don't know it all and that we want to learn more from Jesus. So this summer we're saying, Hey, let's be like the wise, not like the simple. Right. Amen. So last week we talked about the willingness to change. This week we're talking about a committed heart. Turn to Proverbs chapter 1, and I'm going to read to you verses 1, 10 through 22. This is the New Living Translation. It says this, my child, okay, we'll stop right there. If you are a child, that's a good thing. Amen? Childlike how? Childlike faith, not childish which is the opposite of childlikeness, but child in your son or a daughter of the king. Therefore, this is immediately talking to you and I. Okay, My child, if sinners entice you, what does it say there? That's right, with an exclamation point. I'll read it like it's supposed to be read. Turn your back on them. Okay, They may say, come and join us. Let's hide and kill someone just for fun. Let's ambush the innocent. Think about this in light of what's going on in the world today. Okay, We think... People always tell us, oh, the Bible is so irrelevant, and how can you trust a word that's 2,000 years old and and all these ancient ideas? Guess what happened today in Orlando? 50 people killed, innocent people, 53 in the hospital, uh, in early reports, you know what I mean? What do you, this is exactly what we're talking about here. The world does not understand that God already foresaw the general, the most essential principles in life and said, don't be like this. Okay, come and join us. Let's hide and kill someone. No way people would say that just for fun. Let's ambush the innocent. It's exactly what happened. Let's swallow them alive like the grave. Let's swallow them whole like those who go down to the pit of death. Look at this. Verse 13. Think of the great things we'll get. We'll fill our houses with all the stuff we take. Come throw in your lot with us. We'll all share the loot. Solomon says again, my child, don't go along with them. Stay far away from their paths. They rush to commit evil deeds. They hurry to commit er murder. If a bird sees a trap being set, it knows to stay away. Think about that. A bird. How many of you are smarter than a bird in here? Just raise your hand just so I can make sure you're listening. Okay, yes. Okay, everyone is. Awesome. Thank God we have people who are smarter than birds. And even a bird knows if a trap is being set, he doesn't go near it. He stays away. Okay? But these people, as opposed to the birds, as opposed to the, the wise, these people set an ambush for themselves. They are trying to get themselves killed. Such is the fate of all who are greedy for money. It robs them of life. Man, verse 20. Wisdom shouts in the streets. Think about that just for a second. 
Here, here, think of all the noise that's going on in the world today. And God says, you've got these guys over here. These are the murderers. These are the fools. They're over here and they're shouting, come, let's ambush the innocent. Think about that in light of abortion. Think about that in light of all the things going on with the transgender and stuff like that. Let's ambush the innocent. Okay? And then God says, here's the opposite. Wisdom, though, is crying aloud in the streets. Not in the church building, not in the temple, not in the house. Wisdom has gone out into the streets and saying, hey, anybody who is dumb, anybody who is, less, who is not even as smart as a bird, okay, come in here. She cries out in the public square. So not only is she in the streets, she goes out to the public places and cries out. She calls to the crowds along the main street, to those gathered in front of the city gate. How long, you simpletons? How long will you insist on being simple-minded? How long will you mockers relish your mocking? How long will you fools hate knowledge? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. God, we thank you that as always and forever, Lord, it's living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. God, I thank you that your word knows everything, that you know everything. Lord Jesus, that we can be wise today because of your your word. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, that we are the wise. We're hearing the word of God and we're becoming wiser every single day. Lord, we're not going to follow the opinions of men. We're not going to follow the opinions of the Internet or even persuasive people. We're following the truth of God's word. I pray today, Lord, that as we as city of God, we are good soil. We hear the word, we receive the word, and we do the word. And as a result... We will produce a harvest of 30, 60, and 100 fold. And everybody who believed that shouted, Amen. Amen. The second character trait is to have a committed heart. And in this passage, Solomon is encouraging his son. And a lot of people, this is where a lot of people try and escape out of the Bible. They say, Well, Solomon is only writing to his son. Okay, we know that. That's inherent in the whole thing. It says, Solomon, these are the Solomon's Proverbs. And he said, the first thing he says is, my son. Okay, so we know he's writing, writing to his son. But one of the best things about the Bible is that God has written everything through man to us. So in addition to it being written to Solomon's son, literally, it's also being written to those who are Solomon's children by faith. So if you are wise and if you are hearing the word, then you will become wise and you will be therefore come a child of Solomon. Okay, just like you could become a child of Abraham by faith. So Solomon is writing to all those who will believe in what he's saying. If you say, yes, I want wisdom, then you can be the son or the daughter that he's talking to. Say he's writing this to me. That's right. The Bible has been written for our admonition. It shows us how to live an abundant zoe, an abundant life. In all manners of life, we can come with great assurance and receive from the word not only what he's told us, but the abundance in what he's told us. So getting back to our packet passage here, Solomon says, look, son, if sinners or even sin is enticing you, what should we do? Turn our A, turn our back onto sin, turn our back onto the enticing situation. If a friend comes to you, okay, now I don't know about your friends, but I don't have any friends right now who will say, hey, let's go murder someone. 
You know what I mean? Hey, what are you doing today? Oh, I just was going to go to church and clean it. Do you want to ambush the innocent? Who talks like, you know? No, I don't have any friends like that. But we do have people who will entice us to sin, to focus on ourselves rather than focusing on the gospel, who will lead us to, to get so, so away from what God wants us to do that it becomes sin, Right? There will be many activities, there will be many possessions, there will be many thoughts, ideas, etc., methods that will entice you. And you say, well, how, what will they entice me to do? Or how will, they, how will they entice me to do them? And listen to what he says here. Solomon says, think of the great things that we'll get. We'll fill our houses with all the stuff that we take. Come, throw your loot in us. We'll share all the loot. We love loot. Woot for loot, right? Say, I'll, I'll, I'll probably never commit murder. And hopefully none of us do, right? But what have we committed or what have we been enticed by in exchange for something that we can get? That is just as bad as murdering or ambushing the innocent. When we exchange God for a possession, we, we become like the simpletons and the fools because we're saying, Lord, it's not about you anymore. It's about me and what I can get in this world. And that's why Solomon later on in the end of the Proverbs, he says, the leech has two daughters. Give and give and give. Give me, give me more. I want more. I want more. And this is the insatiable greed that is out there in this world. And it's enticing us to turn away from God in the things that we can get. And guess what? We're all in this battle together. There are some times and, and, and some days where it's like, man, I, I, sometimes I kind of have like a running joke with friends. You know, someone will say, oh, yeah, this person's doing there, there was an opening in the San Pedro, uh, whatever that is, the, uh, the port. And the guy who, who is the captain of that thing it makes 400 grand a year. It's the highest paying city job in Los Angeles. And I kind of joke with my page, oh, I'm in the wrong business. You know what I mean? I could be just parking boats for 400 grand. Obviously, I'm simplifying something, but you get the point. You know what I mean? Being a pastor is not exactly making 400 grand a year. And if you think it was, spoiler alert, it's not. You know what I mean? So here's the thing is that we, whenever we think about exchanging something for something that we can get, rather exchanging God's perfect will for something that we can get, then that is the enticement to leave his will. And therefore, that becomes then sin in our life because we're leaving God for a possession, that's idol, idolatry, right? When you leave God and thinking, this can get me more, or this will save my life more than God can. I like to CrossFit, and one of the things I think is funny about CrossFit is you'll see people will make this statement, CrossFit saved my life. And I think, wow, that's a bold statement. Now, I understand what they're saying. I was injured, I was amputated, I was uh, sick or whatever, and through working out and focusing on my health, I became healthier. That's sort of the phrase they use, but CrossFit did not save their life. Jesus is the only one who can save our lives, FYI. And so we have to make sure that we're not exchanging Jesus for something that we think saves our life. Maybe it's a job, maybe it's a, a possession, maybe whatever it is, we cannot exchange God's will for what we think will get us what we want. Like Paige said, the difference between wants and needs. What we need is Jesus. What we want is to chill on a Bahamian island somewhere, right? And just be like, yeah, I don't have to worry about a thing. But here's the thing. We don't have to worry about a thing even in this life to come. Jesus says, don't, don't worry about a thing. That's, 
Like we said, that's easier said than done, but we've got to do it because that's what God desires out of us, okay? If I do this for you, what do I get? I will help you, but only if you help me. That's, that's the spirit of today. Man, and, and even we, 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 we know we've traded things before. Previous generations were like, it's all about me, but now it's still all about me, but I'll help you if it also helps me. Right. If it makes me feel good about myself, then I'm willing to help. You know what I mean? And we have basically a self-centered motive covered in generosity. And that's why we've got to make sure that our heart is right before God. And God is the only one who can judge our hearts. So we have to make sure that sometimes, not all the time, the will of God has to be what is best for us. Now, I use best in quotations because sometimes you think, man, laying down my life is not best for me, right? And it's like, well, that, that seems best for God, but God, what's in it for me? Lord, if, you, if I do this, what do I get from you? God's like, well, I mean, I kind of did that whole salvation, removal of all sins, past, present, and future. What, did you want more? And graciously and generously, God says, not only have I radically saved you and paid all of your debts forever, but I also want to give you the Holy Spirit. I also want to bless you with an abundant life. He's so gracious that way. But when we get into our mind, God, what can I get out of this? That's a self-centered mentality, right? right? Which is to say we may never benefit from some of our decisions on earth. And these are things that we do in the will of God that come at a sacrifice to us. And we may never see the true fruit into heaven. And that's why we cannot really measure Christianity on earth. Not by baptisms, not by tongue talkers or salvations or groups or whatever. Because we'll never truly know the impact. What we do want to know is are we doing the will of God? Only God is able to see that fruit of our labors. And so our single-minded focus has to be, and we say this over and over again, become like Jesus, first and foremost. Solomon tells his children, turn your backs on the things that entice you most, the things that pander to our sin nature, the things that put us in the driver's seat of our life, the things that give us the illusion of control in our lives. Give those over to God. He says, these people will entice you for gain. They set a trap for themselves, an ambush that will take their life from them. And we can call, we can boil Solomon's statements into this one thought, okay? Commit yourself to God and his will at all costs. That's what he's saying. He's saying, don't, don't give up. Don't turn to the left or the right. Don't, don't, don't lay it down. Focus, commit yourself to Jesus. Your focus is your world. Whatever you are focused on, that's what your world will become around you. You're focused on money. Your world is going to become about getting money, losing money. Your focus is on Jesus and his kingdom first and foremost. Then that's going to be where you're going to find true abundance. James 1.8 says this, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. New Living Translation says this, his world crumbles at his feet because of a lack of a commitment. Another translation says their loyalty is divided between God and the world and they're unstable in everything they do. So if you want to be unstable and none of us want to be unstable, then divide yourself. Am I going after the world? Am I going after God? If you make this commitment to go after God, there will be stability in your life. And as we say all the time, that doesn't mean immunity. That means advantage. 
the ability to go through the storms and not be shaken and not be rocked that the storm is passed by you. And you're able to say, God is still good. I'm still with him. I'm still serving Jesus and nothing can take that focus out of me. Amen. Solomon says, don't be enticed. Don't be divided between this world and that. Make a commitment. The worst, I've said this for years, the worst possible life. And I used to say it to young people all the time. The worst possible life on earth is a lukewarm Christian. Because you get all of the condemnation from making mistakes and trying to live like the world and trying to be, and then come to church and you just get heaped upon you because you feel guilty because you know you're not really serving God. And Jesus even says, look, I wish you were one or the other. The lukewarm gets spewed or vomited out of the mouth of God, according to Revelation. So he says, I wish you were either hot or cold. Now, obviously, what he really wants is not lukewarm and not cold. He wants us to be hot, focused, passionate, committed to Jesus. A committed heart is a decided heart, and it is the result of a made-up mind. Commitment is attractive. When people see that we're all committed to Jesus... In their uncommitment, they're going to say, look, I don't know exactly or know entirely what's going on, but I see your commitment and I'm passionate. I realize that you're passionate and you're committed and therefore I want to be that way too. So that's why we've got to be committed to something, which is about, which is what this whole message is about. How do we excel in our commitments? Let me give you three keys to becoming more committed. Are you ready? No, you're not. Okay, here we go. They're going to be up on the screen. Number one, get involved in something great and give your life to it. Find something bigger than you are. Connect with something you can really believe in. If you're working or at a place where the leader is someone you cannot respect, find the place where you can admire and attach your energy, skills, and time. Now, a lot of people, and I'm all for this, okay? I'm all for building wells, building schools, shoeing children, you know, putting shoes on them and not shooing them away, but shooing them, give them, you know, you know, giving peace a chance, all that kind of stuff. I'm all for that. But the greatest single, most important eternal entity on this earth is the thing that you are a part of right now. And that is the what? The church. Say it again. The the church, the most important thing that you can give your time, your treasures, your talents, your passion to is the church. Because Jesus says, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He says, I am the groom and you are the bride and I'm only coming back for one thing. He's coming back for the bride. And so we're over here going, yeah, I don't no, Trust me. I'm a Christian. I'm over here. I'm building wells. I'm sponsoring it. Great. Do all that. But give your life to the church. Give your life to building the single most important entity of all time. It's bigger than what goes on in this room. It's bigger than what goes on in this city. It's bigger than what goes on in this state, in this nation. It is a global body of Christ. And we have a part to do. Our part is not to reach the already 20% of people who are saved in L.A., that we bless them and we want them to be connected to church. But there are 80% of this county is not saved. There's 240,000 people in a one-mile radius. we got a job to do. We've got to get out and reach people. Amen? To let them know that the church, the bride of Christ, is wonderful. 
what happens is we get ingrown on ourselves and then we begin to love the bride more than we love the groom. Well, we've got to make sure that we are loving Jesus and making his bride spotted, unspotted and, 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 and uh, unspeckled and all that good stuff, nicely ironed, ready to go. If you've ever been to a wedding, that one of the most important parts of the wedding is when the doors open. Not to let the people in, but let the bride go down the aisle, right? And at that moment, could you imagine if, if the bride never looked in a mirror and the, you know, the lipstick was all over the face and the hair was you know, way done and the dress was torn and there was a stain on it and the groom was like, she's my bride and I love her, but why didn't anybody help her out, right? Like, you didn't hold a mirror, you know, hey, you got a big old salad in your lip, you know, teeth, you know what I mean? We have to make sure that as the attendants of the bride, that we make the bride beautiful. Amen. And so we've got to find something that is bigger and we've got to commit ourselves to that. We have to commit ourselves to building the local church. And if you're here, you're a part of this local church to help us build it. We are not the only ones here to build the church. We're here to equip the saints and every one of us to build it, to reach the people around us who don't and are not a part of church, who are far from God, who are, who are out there. So we've got to do both. We've got to hand out those touch cards and we've got to disciple people and bring them closer through our relationships. Amen. Amen. If enough of us will get committed and be excited by that commitment, others will follow. So we got to come in. Yeah, I'm glad to be here on Sunday. Are you a little tired? Hey, that's okay. You can take a nap after church, after you stuff your face, whatever. But come in ready to worship, ready to lift your hands, ready to clap. He said, I can't clap on beat. None of us can. So if we all start clapping together, eventually we'll find a beat to clap on. Amen. I don't want to be the only one shouting. No one does. That's why when Tim says, hey, let's shout to the Lord. Everyone has to shout. And I don't know if you know English very well, but shout means louder than a conversational voice. You know what I mean? Shout to the Lord. Yay. You go to a soccer game, and I've been watching, like I said, Paige said, we were watching some of the soccer games. And that, you know, there's this group called the American Outlaws, and they, USA, USA. USA is going to crumble eventually, you know what I mean, in terms of the grand scheme of things. And that's not a prophetic word. That's just in Revelation. Okay. Oh, no. No. It, you know, it, you, what about Jesus. You know, Jesus, we should, we should not be ashamed to shout the name of Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Lord, you're so good and so awesome. No one should be ashamed to yell that. Amen. Joshua says to the children of Israel, he says, but look, if you, ref- if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose this day whom you will serve. He says, look, there's two options. You're either serving God or you're serving somebody else. Just know this. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He says that after they've conquered the promised land, which is sort of interesting because they've already got in. They've already seen the miracles of God breaking through and giving them the promised land. And he says, look, if you can say after all that, that you want to serve somebody else, you must make a decision today. Who's it going to be? Are you going to serve the God who got us in here and gave us this land and you saw him do all those miracles and all those amazing things? Or are you going to serve somebody else? Joshua says, there's no, there's no question here in, our, in this house. Me and my house, we're serving the Lord. 
And that's the question that every person, every single human on earth has to answer. Is it, are you going to serve the Lord? Are you going to be, are you going to serve somebody else? Are you going to serve? It's time to make a decision. One of our, one of my favorite little songs, sometimes we'll sing to the kids, though none go with me, still I will follow. And the previous verse says, I have decided to follow Jesus, right? What if nobody goes with you? Uh, That doesn't matter. I'm still following Jesus. And then he says, no turning back. No turning back. (laughs) Got really deep there. Okay, number two, commit yourself to excellence. Okay, the first thing is commit yourself to something greater. The church, commit yourself to the church. Commit yourself then, secondly, to excellence. Solomon was no stranger to excellence. Look at the temple, right? He goes and he says, what's the best kind of wood? God says, I want you to have the best kind of wood. Awesome, man, look at all this great wood in here. And then he goes one step further. He says, I want you to overlay it all with gold. So not only were you having the best wood, but we would think in our minds, man, if you have the best kind of wood, show it off. It looks so cool and vintage and all that. No, God says, I want you to take that awesome wood, the best wood, and I want you to cover it with gold. Just to let you know that in God's house, there is no limit to the resources. There's no limit to what God has. I'm, God is committed to excellence. And you think, man, where did Solomon get that idea? He got it from God. Look no further than the Instagram sunsets and selfies, right? Some of the selfies, like, man, that one's really weird. But every person has been created in excellence by God. Every single one of them, every single sunset is beautiful and excellent because God is himself excellent. So we want to be excellent in everything we do. But then the question comes, well, what is excellence? Is it perfection? Is it, you know, Jurassic Park? We spared no expense. No, excellence is the pursuit of the best of what's available to you. We're doing a little live stream on Facebook. That's as excellent as we can get at this moment, right? There are far better ways. There's, you know, the 4K cameras and and hooking it into massive servers and all. But this is the best of what's available to us. We're going to do the best with what we got. Amen. Right? Amen. That's the excellence. That's why, if you'll notice, we, we, we don't like dirt right? On the floors. We don't, you know, if I drop a napkin, I don't just leave it there. No, I pick it up and throw it away. We like a level of excellence because God is excellent. You don't see any accidents in, in God's kingdom, right? What is that? Uh, oh, that's the dodo bird. Whoops. That, what was that? It was an accident. You know what I mean? You know, the, what is that over there? Oh, it's a three-legged cat. You know what I mean? Well, wh- how did that happen? Well, God created a whole uh, three-legged cats on accident. So it's, you know, no big deal. It's an accident. No, there, there's, there are three-legged cats, but that's due to injury and sin nature and things like that. But there's no accidental animals out there. You know what I'm saying? That none of them are like, whoops, ah, sorry, my hands got out of control, guys. My bad. <laughs> sorry about that animal. We'll do, he'll just, you know, he'll die on its own or whatever. There's no accidents like that. Everything is done by excellence. And excellence is always immediately and instantly recognized. Right? You walk in this building, the outside of this building is not excellent. I'll be the first to admit it. And I'm trying to push to make it excellent. Even a coat of paint would be an excellent upgrade from the barf green exterior. Right? But when you walk in, you immediately recognize, man, this is excellent. Is it the most expensive building? No. Is it the most expensive interior? No, but it's the best. It's the most excellent for what we had available to us. And that has to make sure in your own mind that you don't have to spend the most amount of money. You just have to do what's best for what is available to you. Are you with me? Think about your work, the stuff you're doing. Are you doing it with excellence? 
Are you phoning it in? You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, hey, oh, yeah, I'll be there. Uh, people recognize when something is done halfway. I always, I, I like to go to Six Flags because the roller coasters are fun, but I like Disneyland better because it's excellent. There isn't a toenail out of place in Disneyland. And even if you do, they'll come by and they'll clip it for you and put it in there and sweep it and put it away. You spit out a piece of gum and the guy comes by, boom, vanishes. Right? There's not a scrap of paper anywhere on the floor. Every table is wiped clean as soon as you're done. Why? Because they have excellence. Are they more excellent than Six Flags? I think it's a mentality thing because Six Flags could be excellent. They just choose not to be. So the tables are greasy and there's garbage everywhere. You know what I mean? It's just the difference of what they're focused on. We want to be a church that is focused on excellence because God is excellent. We pursue the best of what is available to you. We want to be pursuing excellence, not just externally, but in our relationship with Jesus. Amen. We don't want to just want to just, oh, yeah, you know, we're, you know, we just try to slide on into heaven. No, we want to get there and we want to say, man, I gave everything I got here on earth. Lord, look at there's a, there's a line of people behind me because I reached out. I invited them. Right? That's pursuing a life of excellence. The third thing and final thing here is make a commitment to God. So the first thing is commit to commit to something greater than you. Commit to the local church. Commit to be a part. Commit to inviting people. Commit to discipling people. Right? The second thing is commit to excellence. Make sure that everything you do is with the best that's available to you today. And the third thing is make a commitment to God. Philippians 2, 5 through 11 says this, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every other name, that at the, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen and amen and amen. This is one of my favorite verses of all time, and I love the part where it says, Jesus did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. He is God. He already had an amazing box seat in heaven, right? But he says, no, for the sake of mankind, I made a commitment before the foundations of the earth to be slain, to go on a cross and be resurrected so that mankind could be saved. That's, that's a commitment. He was so committed to you and I that he was obedient through rejection, betrayal, extreme pain and suffering all the way to the point of death. That is commitment. And sometimes we have a hard time getting to church on time or getting to, getting through there. I mean, there was traffic on the way here. You know, I mean, it was a massive, I mean, it wasn't even an accident, really. It was just two cars had bumped into each other, and there was 13 police you know, cars and cones, and I'm, I'm glad for all of those people, and I bless our, you know, law enforcement, all that kind of stuff, but it could have been two lanes. But here's the thing. I was committed to coming to church no matter what. No matter what kind of traffic, no matter what's going on in L.A., I'm committed to being at church. That's because you're the pastor. No, that's because I love Jesus. That's because I love being around other believers. That's because I'm committed to the local church. Amen? What the things that we, the things that God asks us to do, to sacrifice, we should be running to lay them down because of the commitment that he made for us. It's not too much to ask from us to lay down our sin. 
to lay down the things that are holding us back. It's not too much. God went all the way from heaven to the earth, through hell, and then back up to heaven just to get us in relationship. And so the things that are holding us back, the things that are the, the sin in our life, don't let them hold us back. Amen. Amen. Let's, let's just stand as we close. Amen.